I realise just what a challenge this is for me in my life. I am absolutely terrible at focusing. I'm like the dog in the uh, movie Up, where it's sort of squirrel, you know, you know, it's a, I, I, I sort of, you know, yeah, so I have to be focused on one area and then squirrel, and then, you know, it's, I, I, things distract me, things kind of pull me off, off piece, things, uh, you know, I, I find it very hard work to focus, but, um, so what I want to do today is kind of maybe go for a couple of ideas, two ways in which we commonly get our focus, which but may not actually be that helpful, and then perhaps we finish off with saying about a, a technique which will help us to be more focused uh, in a more constructive and long-term way. Um, and I think some of you will say, focusing, Leon, cameras, photography. <laughs> so I have some disappointing news for you. I'm not going to do anything about photography for you today. today. I did start, I did start to, uh, to do something about photography and focus and depth of field and bokeh. But about, after, about, after about five minutes of thinking about it, I thought, I'm just going to go so technical. Gonna I'm going to lose everybody. And I'll just be, just be talking to myself, and you'll all lose focus completely on the topic in hand. So I thought, okay, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll step away from that. We'll save that for another day, perhaps, but, uh, but not today. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So, just... The, 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 the idea of being God-focused is a phenomenally big topic. I mean, biblically, you could make an argument that the whole Bible is really about getting a focus on God yeah. and, and being you know, mindful of God and just being, having our attention on God's plan and Jesus and you know, what, what we are as Christians. And you could say the whole Bible is, uh, is about focusing. So I think we'll start at Genesis and uh, start reading for it. No, we won't do that. We'll... we'll <laughs> We'll, go, we'll stick to the plan and just do sort of three areas. So I just wanted to start with a kind of a, a, a typical area which helps me focus on God, which is times of crisis. Um, I, think, I think when I look back and think of the times I've felt like I've been focused at my clearest on God, at my you know, most involved in my prayer times are times when I've been in crisis. Um, and it's, it's kind of a personal favorite technique of mine. When there's a disaster, when there's a crisis, uh, when the chip's down and my back is up against the wall and there's no escape, I'm pretty good at focusing on God because there's no other option for me. Um, typically, it'll be when something has happened to me that I have no control over. Or, again, it'll be a situation where I'm become keenly aware of my sin and my, you know, my, and I sort of feel disaster overtaking me. I kind of feel like, gosh, I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I need a way of escaping from this situation. Um, so I just want to open up and have a look at a time in, in David's life where he, you know, because I think David is a great example. He, he, he talks to God a lot in his Psalms and he goes through a lot of times of crises. So I just want to read Psalm 141. If you'd like to turn there with me. And the whole, just, well, let's read the whole psalm from verses 1 to 10. Okay. I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like, an evening sacri- be, be like the evening sacrifice. So that guard over my mouth, O Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. 
Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil, so that I take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. For my prayer will be st still against the deeds of evildoers. Their rulers will be thrown down from the cliffs. They will say, as one plows and breaks up the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of the grave. But my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me safe from the traps set by my evildoers, from the snares they have laid for me. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. And it's interesting because when I read the Psalms and I read David's accounts in the Psalms, he seems to be, have a lot of enemies. He seems to have a lot of problems with enemies. He seems to kind of be always afraid of being overtaken by his enemies, always being afraid of being, you know. And we know that in, initially in the first part of his life, he wasn't a run, he wasn't a run from Saul, but actually he had a pretty, you know, on the big scheme of things, if you look at all the other kings of Israel, he had a pretty peaceful reign when he was actually, in, when he was actually the king. So, obviously, he was doing something right here. He was, <laughs> God was looking after him. But he was, this is, you know, if you go back to, um, to verse 8 and 9, so verse 8 specifically says, But my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. And I think I was looking for sort of biblical similes for the idea of focus. And I came up with the idea, I came up with the word fixed. And, uh, you know, God, and here is David is saying, I'm fixed. My, my heart is fixed on you. It's focused. I'm, I, you know, I, I, you know, that's my sole purpose at this time. You, you, you are my primary focus. And I think that's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being fixed on God at times of crisis. I think that's, um, let's take another look, another, another situation where God, where uh, David is in crisis. Perhaps a bit more uh, emotional, a bit more, uh, a bit of a darker time in his life. In 2 Samuel 12, uh, verses 13 to 22, when he's exposed for his sin uh, before Nathan, and he's told that his son is going to die. Just verse, reading the verses here, it says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get up from the ground, but he refused. He would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought... While the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can, how can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he'd washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He went to his own house, and at his request they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. 
this is a pretty stark passage. Um, but it, it, it sort of illustrates clearly how we can be in times of crisis. You know, I think David is very human. David is, you know, he, he, wants, he wants everything. He wants, he wants the situation to change. And he throws everything into it. He throws everything into his relationship with God, into that time of, at that time of crisis. He goes for it. He fasts, he prays, he does all the, tech, he does all the things which we, which we recognize ourselves as, you know, that we do when we're really petitioning God. Um, then the issue is resolved. It's not resolved in a particularly good way for David. Uh, certainly, it's a tragedy that a child has died because of this situation. But then David resets and gets on with his life. I think it's interesting. Um, it's interesting to think, did David do what was right here? You know, did he do what was right? Was it right for him to sort of switch off once the crisis has passed? Because that's what it looks like on the face of it here. I think we need to be clear. At times of crisis, we absolutely need to go to God and be focused on him and have that, have that high-intensity focus of God. However, it's tempting to go from one crisis to another. And it's tempting that you know, when we have that high, we have that kind of that time of heightened emotion, that time of heightened connection with God, we can look at that and think, oh, well, that's how it should be for us. That's what a close relationship, that's what a close focus with God is like. And we sell our, our focus and our relationship with God short because we think that, that, that peak of emotion is where we, where we engage with God at. And so, actually, what can happen is we can end up chasing crises. We can think, you know, our crisis can be our, our route to God. We only, you know, we think that our, our connection, our focus, our relationship with God only becomes at that peak level at its best when we're in crisis. And so suddenly we become a, we become a drama chaser. And that could be a very dangerous thing for us. So, this, that's, so I just wanted to sort of have a think about that. Maybe do we chase drama in our lives? I know for myself, I can get very, I can feel very... Um, the emotional high of that time can, can leave me feeling a bit of an anticlimax when it finishes. And, so I, and, and that can lead me to lose my focus. That can lead me to lose my relationship with God because I kind of feel like, I've been for this time, let me take a break. And, you know, and then wait for the next time of drama to roll around. So that's our first example of a time when we can have an increased focus on God. The second time, the second example I want to give us is... Uh, uh, or perhaps a, a way we can get focus is getting our focus through external accountability. Um, now, I'm sure we can think of many different examples of when people, when we've had people in our lives asking us about our relationship with God and we think, oh, this is my time to, you know, I, I've got to prepare for this conversation I know I'm going to have. You know, <laughs> I'm going to have my... Uh, I'm going to have my focus sorted out, and I'm going to have something to report back to them. Um, I liken this to the idea of having deadlines. Um, we all love deadlines, right? We <laughs> I can see the joy on our, on our faces. Um, I've had a couple of deadlines this week. What, what, are, what, are, kind of, what are big deadlines we can have in our lives? Just anybody? Tax returns. 
That's what I was doing this week, yes. Oh, credit card bills, oh gosh, yes, yes indeed, indeed. Avoiding those late payments. Preparing for a race, yeah, yeah. Get, get, oh, getting married, now that's an interesting one. Getting married as a deadline. Wow, okay. It's, <laughs> it's true, it's, it's, it's a good deadline. Well, <laughs> I, I have heard about people who cut it very fine on their wedding day, I can't recall. Was it Ian Moley who was running to his wedding or somebody? Somebody uh, was... Uh, uh, Mike D'Souza. Mike D'Souza, yeah. Uh, the car was stuck and they jumped yeah. out and they were running. That's right. Yeah. They were running down the Houston Road, weren't they? Running That's it. I can't believe I remembered that. There we are. <laughs> literally, literally <laughs> running to that deadline. My goodness. <laughs> so... My wife's car broke down when she had her hair done and they had the hitchhack on. Your, your, on the oh, your, your wife had to oh. hitchhike home on the wedding day? My goodness, from the hairdresser, from the hairdresser as well. So you've got to protect the hair and thumb and lift as well. That's, wow, that sounds quite, quite challenging. Wow, but she made it, I'm guessing. Yes, amen, amen. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the front here, and I'm thinking there's, there's got to be deadlines you guys are aware of, right? Yeah. Essays, coursework, exams, right? Exams. <laughs> So all these things, right, are, um, are things which kind of have an external accountability. Your exams are marked by external people. You're, you're being, uh, you're, you're, you've got that certificate, hopefully at the end, which says, you know, I'm, I'm proficient in this area, which, you can, which is given by somebody else. Your tax returns, which I was doing myself this week, so I know all about that. Um, you know, something you give that somebody else you know, you, you've got to kind of put before somebody else. And it's, it's, you know, you've got to present, to present those tax returns before the 31st of January or you get fined. Um, uh, and then, uh, yes, and then also we have deadlines at work. Um, I've, I've had a bunch of deadlines this week at work. Um, I've, I've, <laughs> I've had to do a, a couple of reports, presentations, but those are to other people. Other people are, are waiting for those activities for me to come back to them with. Um, last weekend, I had a, a photography job in Belgravia. No, it wasn't Belgravia. It was, uh, it was Chelsea. Uh, and I said to them, I will get you the photographs back by Saturday night. Next, so last night, I said, I'll get the photographs back to them. By, I have my one-week rule about getting my photographs back to my clients, generally speaking. And then I realized, oh, got to do my sermon. I've got to do, um, I've got to, uh, <coughs> I've got to, I've got to, I had an all day rehearsal yesterday with my, with my choir. And so normally I kind of block out some time on a Saturday. I thought, oh no, that time's gone. And then uh, I've got my, my rehearsal on Thursday evenings. I've got the, uh, the men on, uh, was, was when men's like this, this Wednesday? <coughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, all the, and then suddenly I realized, oh, I have no time. And uh, then my daughter was spectacularly sick again uh, during the week, and I had to stay home from work. And I was like, oh, I was like, this is a bad thing, but actually it's a good thing, because I get a little bit of extra time to do these extra things I've got to do. And also, oh, that's the other thing I had to do. I, I had a, um, 
an album which I promised somebody that I'd get finished for, for sort of a draft for a review for them for Friday. I was like, why did I, why did I give that commitment? Why did I give that commitment? So all these things I was trying to focus on at the same time. And, I, you know, my, my head felt like it was exploding. It was, it was crazy. Uh, but you know what? I mean, we talked about crises, right? We just talked, um, in, in a way, deadlines are my mini-crisis. You know, <laughs> I create my own drama <clears throat> with overcommitting to deadlines and stuff. But, <clears throat> but my focus for those activities were driven by the fact that I had to deliver for them. And I think, again, with our, with our focus on God, and this is one of the reasons I'm a little bit ambivalent about, uh, about New Year's resolutions, because I know I'm not the only one in the room with that, uh, with, with doubts about new resolutions. But the idea, the idea for me is like, oh, I'm committing myself this in front of a bunch of people this, to, about something I'm going to do by the end of the year. You know, it's kind of like, you know, and it's, it becomes an external motivation for me to have a focus on those areas of my life. And invariably, I fail at my resolutions. So that's a, a rod to beat myself with at the end of the year anyway. Um, but it's that kind of, but it's a very, easy thing to get into, that external kind of accountability, that external, those external things to kind of drive you forward. You know, you know, you, you know that somebody's going to be on your backs or somebody's going to be asking you about something or somebody's going to be, you know, inquiring about something and you kind of feel like, oh, because this person or this situation, or I'm going to be exposed in this way, I need to be focused. I need to do, I need to pray, I need to study because somebody's going to be asking about it or I need to read this book because they're going to be talking about it. You know, and those Again, it's not a bad thing in its own right, but sometimes we can make that our only motivation, our only way for us to get into it, to drive our focus. It becomes, it becomes in, entirely about, you know, about the reporting, about who's going to pick you up and ask you about that later. Um, so I, I think a, a good little verse, I think, which addresses this kind of attitude is um, in Hebrews 5, uh, verse 11 to 14. Which is about, which is all about, you know, spiritual maturity. It says, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not quite acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And, you know, we're all grown-ups here. And I don't think, I don't think this applies to us in a, at, a, at a basic level. But I think in terms of how we can be, I think sometimes it's easy to sort of fall back onto needing and relying on other people and relying on that kind of accountability. I think it's quite easy to do that because it's, you know, for me, my nature is quite lazy and I, the, I, the deadline drives me to action. You know, that accountability drives me to action. I kind of feel like, okay, I've got to do this because this is happening at this time. And it kind of, oh, it gives me that kind of energy to get something done. But it's not a long-term strategy. It's not a long-term plan which is going to help my life and my relationship with God. It'll just get to a situation where I'm feeling more and more guilty about having to do something that's coming up and I'm on the deadline. I'm doing it very last minute. Um, I'm a master of the last-minute preparation. Uh, you know, that's what my life 
Uh, that's what my life has taught me. I, I'm quite successful at it. But I think in terms of my spiritual life, it's very dangerous. Because I can be like, okay, I, I'll do it this time. I'll get, I'll get around to it that time. As long as I do it before this deadline, before I know this is happening, it's, it'll be okay. And it, this leads to big tracks of my life, being without focus on God, being without focus on what I need to do. And it, it just destroys me uh, at the end. So we've talked about two ways we can get focused, which may not be that constructive in a long-term solution. So I think, I, I was trying to think, how can we, I was trying to think about how, how do I get a long-term constant focus? How do I keep myself involved with God, engaged with God, focused on God? Uh, and the truth of the matter is, I can't do that. I can't do that myself. Um, I was, um, <laughs> I don't think any of us, well, I don't, I'm, okay, I don't, I don't know about that. I, I totally admire people who have the ability to be completely focused. On long term. I, I, just, I think those people are, are amazing. I'm not one of them. <laughs> we, um, I, I was, uh, yesterday, we had a, uh, a retreat for my chorus. Because we have a convention, we have a competition coming up. Uh, in May, we're all going to go to Harrogate and be in this competition with about 40 other uh, barbershop choruses. And we, our ambition is to get into the top 10. Uh, last year, the year before with us, we, we, we got 11th place. So it was, you know, so last year we were like, oh, it's our chance to get into the top 10. We came away, we got 12th. And it was like, honestly, it was like a disaster. It was like, you know, people were, you know, it was, it was much depression all around. You know, you know we, we fired our chorus director. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was serious stuff. <laughs> it was, it was serious. It was serious. So uh, we, uh, yeah, yes, yeah, no, no messing around in the barbershop business, guys. I tell you, it's, um, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? But uh, I found out. But um, so I'm glad we don't have that in uh, song leading here. <laughs> we can bring it in. Let's not. Um, so, uh, so we um, so in preparation for our uh, for our competition in May, we have in January we do this retreat, and in fact they're doing it today as well. Um, but so I, I I just did yesterday, and we were there. We were singing. We got there at um, uh, we went to get there at 9:30 in the morning. And uh, we finished singing at about quarter past five. Wow. So, uh, yeah, like a work day of singing. And uh, honestly, I mean, did these... I, I am one of the younger guys in my group. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, um, I, I bring the average age down quite significantly. <laughs> uh, so, it's, yeah, well, but, but honestly, honestly, we were singing for a long time. And I was the one who was feeling like I need a break here. You know, these guys were going for it. They were focused. They were like, you know, we need to, you know, they, they were like, this is something they really enjoyed. They really wanted to get invested in. They really wanted to sort of, you know, they, they, they had that vision. You know, we're going to, we, you know, we are going to uh, improve our scores. We're going to engage with our new chorus director. We're going to, you know... And these guys, honestly, honestly, guys, barbershopping for them is a way of life. 
You know, um, you know when you see some people who sign their emails or letters and say love in Christ, like LNC or your brother or anything, and you think, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of cute. So these guys sign off their emails Y in H, which stands for yours in harmony. So honestly, honestly, I, I, read, I, read, I, I, read these, uh, I read these emails and I think, is this a cult? Honestly. <laughs> Have I joined? Have I got myself in too deep here? I, I, I went into a. I got. I got. I got there a bit. A bit late to rehearsals the other week. I got in and I found everybody lying on the floor, breathing. Like you know, just you know, spending spending 15 minutes breathing on the floor. That was the exercise they were doing. I thought this is this is this doesn't feel right. But these guys, these guys, a lot of them are retired. Um, a lot of them are kind of single, and actually the barbershopping community, that's, that's what they are. You know, that, that for them, you know, that's the most important thing. They're very focused. You know, we talked about, uh, we talked about all, you know, all different ways of, of kind of getting, the, getting the, uh, the, 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 the choir publicized, about raising money via different sort of charity kind of campaigns. These guys are focused on being the best barbershoppers, the best group they can be, but because that's who they are. They are barbershoppers. That's how they define themselves. And I think as Christians, there's a great lesson there. You know, we can define ourselves. It's not about what we want to become. It's about who we are and what we are. And you know what the great thing about, the great advantage we have over the barbershoppers you know, the barbershoppers have passion. So do we. But the barbershoppers don't have a spirit of barbershopping. Perhaps, perhaps they do. But, you know, <laughs> they don't have an indwelling of God. You know, as, a, as Christians, we have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Which, you know what, that gives us a massive, you know, massive advantage. We talk about focusing on God. We have a part of God within us. Which is actually pretty amazing when you think about it, you know, and I think it's so easy to forget that. We go through our lives, we go through our crises, we face our deadlines, we go through the daily, you know, daily ups and downs of life. I mean, you know, when I was washing the sick out of my daughter's bed, while my wife was washing the sick out of her hair on uh, Tuesday night, I wasn't really thinking, uh, God dwells in me. And, uh, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is helping through this time. But he was, you know. And uh, I think regardless of how we feel, regardless of where we are, God is with us. God is right there with us in a very real way. Uh, and I think sometimes we think, oh, you know, we, we need to approach God in prayer and prepare ourselves and be this and be that. But he's with us. The Holy Spirit, we have that promise. Um, so I just want, just going from, just if we read 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, I love Corinthians, but um, I think that 1, 2 Corinthians are my, some of my favorite books, I think. But uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 18, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 